You're listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. It's a Wednesday, unusual for us, usually on Monday, but it's Wednesday, March 10th. Thanks for being patient and waiting for us. I'm Tim Priest with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated, joined as always by Pete Sampson from The Athletic. And since we last gathered uh, nine days ago, Notre Dame received a verbal commitment from Steve Angeli, the quarterback from New Jersey. Uh, just this morning, Amorian Walker, the pretty underrated three-star wide receiver. Uh, and then, of course, everybody was very interested in Drew uh, Alar, the quarterback that everybody loved. A lot of Notre Dame fans loved more than Steve Angeli, and he verbally committed to Penn State. Guys, um, let's, start, let's start there and your thoughts on Angeli, Alar, uh, and then let's get into Amori and Walker. I mean, I think the, the quarterback stuff is – consistent with you know what we've been talking about for a while like the evaluation and process of quarterback recruiting I think is, is fascinating because it's there's a clear timeline at a position where you can only take one um, and I talked to Angeli yesterday about sort of all right you see Ty Simpson commit you see Drew Alar get offered um, does that sort of speed things up for you and he said no but at the same time like you would be an idiot not to acknowledge that that's happening. Um, that, you know, in the way I would describe it is like, you're playing musical chairs and like there are a few chairs left. So you got to make a decision. Um, you know, he did, I think his development is, is really interesting. Um, you know, his high school stats are not popping off the page at all. Essentially like his season was one game for Tyler Buckner. Um, the level of competition is much different than what, um Buckner played against but still it's I think it's a a nod to development um that re-sees something in him that you know 24-7 arrivals maybe don't and to be fair I mean rivals that does have him as a four-star prospect 24-7 a little lower uh, on him as a three-star I think I mentioned the last time we got together that I felt like the post-Buckner quarterback commit didn't need to be and probably wouldn't be as highly thought of by everybody outside of Notre Dame's walls as the one two years down the line. And it's just, unless you're a factory that is bringing in the top quarterback every year, that, that makes sense. I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know if how many five stars and high four stars want to follow Buckner if they believe Buckner is going to be a three-year starter, right? Yeah, there's no doubt. And, and, and you face that situation all the time. I don't, I mean, I, I don't dislike Steve Angeli. I think four stars a little bit extreme right now. Uh, before you know, I think that's. A, I think, I think you would want to see him earn that his senior year per se. Uh, but I think he's made good progress. Um, and it, with with Alar, I, I, everybody can see the upside, the talent. I would like to see a realistic statistic on his interceptions. I mean, how would people feel about? Drew Alar, if he threw eight interceptions last year or 10 interceptions last year or 12 interceptions last year, would we feel differently? Would that mitigate some of the reaction to the spectacular plays that we see on film? Because he is a, he is a high floor spectacular type player who has a lot of upside. So, um, I mean, if you're Penn state, I would be very excited about it. Um, uh, but, but we don't see accuracy numbers on him and that, you know, leaves me wondering because if he was completing, right. I mean, if he was completing 59 to 63% of his passes, that information would be readily available. If he was, 
I mean, or how yeah. many touchdown passes did he have? I and mean, he it, had four interceptions. That that what what am I missing here, guys? I don't know. I mean, just there's always a reason. Like we know Steve Angeli threw six touchdown passes during his junior season. So I mean, there's no reason that those numbers shouldn't be available, especially for a quarterback. Um, so I, I I don't know. I don't understand that. Um, you know why you know why there would be some mystery about yeah. Drew Lar. And look, and, and and look, I get the excitement about him and I understand yeah. the reaction of Notre Dame fans because he is a he is a spectacular player when he makes big plays. I get that. But I don't think that people should be as down on Steve Angeli because as O'Malley said, I mean this is you know, you you've been planning for this to be Buckner's game uh, yeah. down the road and and uh, you know Steve Lar is Ian Book, <laughs> which I mean, yeah. which means I guess that he could ultimately end up, you know, playing a lot for Notre Dame. But I, I, I just I think there's an overreaction positively for guys, and I think there's an overreaction negative negatively for guys. And I realize that we feed into that a little bit, but I think that there's a knee jerk reaction many times evaluating <clears throat> quarterbacks and evaluating quarterbacks as any college coach will tell you, is very difficult to do. Yeah, the most important part for me is that uh, we cannot evaluate college quarterbacks as well as – or high school quarterbacks as well as college football coaches can, and they aren't great at it because it's really hard to do. Right. That's why I do get the fans' point of view, and I actually feel this way. The high-ceiling junior, the super high-ceiling junior, I feel like if you're a coach, you want that guy as the one you're going to try to develop. Now, every once in a while, that super high-ceiling junior – is going to frustrate the living daylights out of you for three years. Maybe Andrew Hendricks is an example of this. He's not, I mean, he, his arm strength and athleticism was high ceiling. Right. He didn't have the ceiling Alar has, but you know, he had that, he had some tangible traits. Sometimes that doesn't work. Uh, and especially it seems like Notre Dame doesn't want that yeah. in their quarterback room so, as much as someone that can process. So let me, let me just clarify. If I had my choice between the two and I'm nobody's saying the Notre Dame yeah, actually yeah. ultimately had their right. choice. Although if they had offered a LAR earlier, they they might have. If I had my choice between the two, and I tend to be conservative with this, like people were saying, do you want the guy with the highest floor or the highest ceiling? And most people say highest ceiling. A lot of times I would say highest floor. In this case, if you said that I could pick either quarterback, I would take a LAR. What about you two guys? Yeah, I you know, recruiting is all projection and potential. So I think. 99 times out of a hundred, I would go with a guy that I thought had the most potential if I had my choice. Um, but I, I guess, I yeah, let me clarify. We're going under the assumption I wrote this and it's my assumption and most people kind of agreed with it, uh, that Alar has a lower floor. Than, Let's say, yeah, yeah. Agreed. Right. Agreed. Low, lower floor, higher ceiling. And, and jelly, again, we're talking hypotheticals. Higher floor, lower ceiling. I prefer. Well, not, I, I do not care about the floor at all. Neither do I. I, I, do I. I want. I want the a floor. Because... Floor doesn't. Floor doesn't win in the playoffs. Yeah, but it won you thirty games with Ian Book. But I, I think Ian Book's athleticism is a little underrated when we're comparing people to Ian Book too. He made a heck. Of, Ian Book standing yep. back there without that athleticism would not have won twenty True. games at Notre Dame, much less yep. thirty. Um, I think Alar, and not just Alar, guys like that. If if his floor is what he ends up being, I replace him with somebody else. That's my quarterback that right. I brought in the year before right. or the year after is kind of how I look. look I mean, let's go, let's go back to Ian book. Cause like it's revisionist history to say like Notre Dame was like, well, let's take this guy 
they because they missed on Jacob Eason, who was a super high ceiling guy. Malik Henry, high ceiling, low floor. Obviously, he was below that floor. <laughs> that like, floor, I don't want. Pete. I don't. That, want that's this. how. I mean, that's how everyone recruits and should. Um, you're looking for the highest ceiling guy you can get, um, and then you trust yourself as a as a coaching staff that you can develop a guy to hit that ceiling. And Tim, so who would you choose here? High floor, or high ceiling. Assuming what I said is the case with these, Alar, high, high, high ceiling. Yeah. I always yeah. want high ceiling because I just bench him if he doesn't work out. Yeah, I agree. But I, I do think Angeli's improving. I think yeah. he's getting yeah. better. Um, so we'll see. Uh, Amorian Walker. I, <laughs> I've looked. I had looked at him prior to this morning. We were kind of uh, awakened with the news that Amorian Walker had verbally committed our name. He's ranked eight hundred and forty something, and so I know a lot of people are going to look at that and say Notre Dame's settling for a three-star receiver. They don't seem to be killing it on the recruiting trail with wide receivers. I think the guy has a lot of upside. I don't know how much either of you two have seen him. I mean, he's long. Um, he's athletic. He's not a burner, but he's he's fast. His At his size, his ability to cut on a dime, and, and not just a 90-degree angle out, but less than a 90 degree angle. He's pretty good. I think he's got a lot of ability. I think he's probably a five-year guy at Notre Dame to fully maximize it. I, I, this is a take for me all the time, but I don't want it to be a Cam Hart uh, one wide receiver class take when that happens. If this is your take, I, I like the ceiling here as well. I think he'll develop and be a higher ranked player. Um, we're getting weirdly misreported 40 times. Apparently whatever you read his coach, for some reason, thinks he's faster than everybody else. So, Kudos well, they, to his coach for telling him he's a legit four four guy. <laughs> but, uh, he, I mean, he reported yeah. a four five six. It's yeah. I mean, it's on his film, right? His coach was saying he's faster than that, which maybe he is going to be faster than that. But the, the real key, I thought it interesting that Terry Joseph wanted him as a corner. That is a tall, rangy corner. Um, yes, he's got I, a lot. I, I, I bring this athlete in all the time, uh, but I want more of that. I think he. You know? I think he. His time. I think he'd probably be better in a sixty than he would be in a forty. That's a good, yeah, that's a good point. Because his strides are as long, his strides are about as long as you're ever going to see a wide out have. Pete, think, have you had you a know, chance to see him? I have not. Um, I know, you know, like in the all time since 2000, I think the 24 seven composite, like recruiting rankings of like every receiver and tight end Notre Dame has signed. He's 73rd out of 78. Um, <laughs> Seventy fifth, seventy fifth is John Carlson. So, like, you know, just compile yeah, that he, away. I, I would but imagine. I, I would just say, like, higher. the way O'Malley's describing it, I think, is a good way because it's like taking Ade Ogundeje as your first defensive end, which, like, you'd be like, uh, well, if you tell me you're going to get Kareem and Hayes, like, in Oquara, then I'm cool with yeah. it. Um, so maybe that's sort of where where he fits in in that in that realm at receiver. That's I would think that would be Notre Dame's hope. I. I Frequently, people want a comparison, and I don't like making comparisons when there isn't one. Like, I think somebody asked me, um, is there a comparison on the current team? Well, I would have compared him to somebody on the current team if I felt that he did. I, I think his I think his body is like a combination of Chris. He's taller than Chris Brown and Will Fuller, but I think it's similar to that. He's not as fast as either one of those. Regardless what his yeah. coach says, if he's as fast four. as one of them, this is going to yeah, be quite then a he's thing. Going to be. 
if he was as fast as either one of them, then he would be rated higher than 849th probably right now. But he has a chance to move up. And I really I do think that there's potential there. I, I think I think football is really important to him. I know that sounds like an obvious statement, but I think he's working. It's that's not it's always not, really true. Not and always I think, true. Yeah, so, yeah, I think he's working, you know, really hard to get better and get stronger as he goes. He's got to get stronger. I mean, he really does. And that's why when you see his cutting ability, it's way better than you would think for a for a kid that just isn't that strong yet, probably isn't that strong in the quads and the in the legs. So we'll we'll see with that. Uh, I did want to before real quickly jump into basketball and we'll get we have questions in the second segment, but uh Joshua Burnham. Is there any mystery here as to what's going to happen with the linebacker that is expected to verbally commit on St. Patrick's Day, March 17th? I don't Michigan think Michigan linebackers think... committing on St. Patrick's Day is a new thing, I guess. <laughs> it would be. It would be. Yeah. Um, Nolan I, I, Ziegler did it last year. Yeah. Uh, oh, if, uh, Michigan based. I, I yeah, get you. right. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think that I'm, I don't think there's going to be a great mystery here. It's one week from today. His birthday is on this is on March 17th. So that, in fact, I think uh, Sinclair said both him and Ziegler are born on the same born on March 17th. Is that right? Tim, did you see that? Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) so we'll see, but I like Burnham a lot. Great length, uh, great length, great range, sideline to sideline uh versatile I, I think you can do a lot of things with him a lot of people have said rover i you know i, I look at him more as an inside linebacker but <clears throat> Notre Dame will determine that and uh you know I, I i don't think you can go wrong i think he's going to be a good football player i love I will also yeah. i'll be happy to drive up and see him in the summer in traverse city as well yeah. <laughs> yeah. i i love him as a prospect and i also like him inside but i've also decided i am never going to see a guy as a rover ever again after usu Koromoa played rover i'm just gonna be like nope not quick enough. Sorry, well, not athletic <laughs> enough. <laughs> everybody I look at, nope, can't play it. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move everybody inside now. Good point. Uh, Notre Dame basketball looked dead in the water last night. Uh, you know, you're, you're, I'm watching this, and I'm, I'm, I'm phrasing the question in my head after the game to, to Mike Bray, and I'm going to say, Jawan Durham developed this year. Uh, Cormac Ryan's come on really strong. He willed them to victory last night. He did. did. Right. You know, know, and Joe, and he was hurt. Joe go, you know, has given you more than you ever anticipated this year, but that junior class, a junior class around which you were building. Are you surprised that it just hasn't been more consistent? Well, hub comes on strong and hub can hub can take over games too. He also can go long stretches without playing well, but Leshevsky didn't show and Goodwin, did some good things again last night, but that junior class is not developing. Well, then the, you know, then the line of questioning changed last night and I let you guys handle it since you were on the, the, the game report, Tim, but um, I mean, pretty unlikely. I, I, you know, that, that was Cormac Ryan and Jawan Durham's defense down the stretch because he was, he was defending the basket the last seven minutes of the game and Wake Forest couldn't score. I don't care how many career block shots he has and that he's fourth in Notre Dame history and that he's third in the ACC this year. That's the best he's ever played defense going and blocking shots. Those were legitimate game changing game saving block shots. Not just like he's seven feet tall with his hand in the air and he happens to block a shot in a half a game. That was John Durham's playing really good basketball. If, yeah, he, really could, is. if he could just anchor and rebound a little more, yeah. even, you know, it, it, it has to yeah. make Bray. He probably looks out there and he's like, why doesn't this guy get more rebounds? It's just, there's like, 
the second jump isn't there or something. The he doesn't quite. Yeah, four take or five rebounds space. a game from him isn't that. That's that's not enough. He's really a better shot alterer than shot blocker yeah. per se. But he was altering a lot of things that were happening in rain laying down the stretch. And man, that seventeen two run to close it out. That's not what Notre Dame normally does. And without it, the tune today is absolute oblivion for Notre Dame's basketball program. That is an amazing change. I mean, it's a first round win over Wake Forest. A six but it and makes everybody happy. The six and sixteen Wake Forest. Right. Let's let's keep some things in perspective, and we'll get into more Mike Bray and et cetera in segment two. But uh, Pete, you want to finish it off with your your basketball thought? I mean, I, I just I was shocked that they came out as flat as they were based on yeah, how they too. played over the weekend yes. against Florida State. And you're just like, wow, you know, where has this team been all year? You think you want to build on that? And there was a certain defiance in the tone after Florida State. And then to not back it up out of the gate was was kind of shocking to me. Um, but, you know, you mentioned the junior class. I guess that's why that's why Cormac Ryan and Trey Wirtz are there, right? Um, yeah. they, they needed something more than what that junior class was providing, and they found it in that one-two punch there at the end from Ryan Trey, to Wirtz for the win. Trey Wirtz knew it was in. He was already going to celebrate as soon as he released yeah. it. Uh, Robbie Carmody gets drilled by Elijah Morgan. And takes a nosedive. I mean, I, th- I think he flattened out enough to just kind of slide across. Yeah, he court. looked like he was celebrating. He kind of saved himself for the awkward yeah. ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, got yeah. Got a belly yeah. Bl- or a chest yeah. down, I think. And you could, still, you could see that he was still limping after he got yeah. up. So I don't think that there was any further damage to, to his recovery. But that's uh, for, for next year's team. Segment two coming up, burning up the boards. This is Dr. Len Clark. In addition to covering the Fighting Irish as a journalist, I'm also a certified DISC assessment facilitator and help individuals and organizations improve performance and productivity. Learn how you can enhance your communication and increase your profits by taking a DISC assessment. Go to DISCteacher.com to learn more. That's D-I-S-C teacher.com. Segment two, burning up the boards. First question, CMU Pens fan. Many people... Speak about Brian Kelly, the coach now. What were your thoughts on him when he was hired? Has he met or exceeded your original expectations? Polished. Yeah. Yeah. Polished was like, I think, my first reaction to him. Um, I wanted Stoops, I remember, going all the way back. That was uh, kind of the the choice. If I had a choice, it became pretty clear it would be Kelly um, during the uh, process. Watching... I do remember wondering, like, man, this, this is just a drastic, drastic change in philosophy offensively and everything. But I thought, oh, maybe that's what they need. And, you know, as it turns out, my first impression of him when he got there was uh, not good. Those first two years, I thought he did not uh, – I thought he tried to do square peg, round hole, and all that. Yeah. Um, and obviously yeah. it's improved since. Because after those two years, we're looking at, what, three nationally contending seasons out of the last eight or eight year nine. Yeah. I really wanted them to hire him, especially during the two weeks after Irish Illustrated announced that he was going to be the head coach. I I do remember that. (laughs) Because I was starting to get a little worried that, no, I really, I mean, we knew he was going to be the head coach two weeks in advance. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he was the hottest name in college football. I mean, of of the up-and-coming, let me clarify, of the up-and-coming coaches, he was the hottest name available and I wanted him to be the head coach and he he was now I was surprised that here's what I was surprised at eight and five eight and five 12 and one wasn't shocking in in retrospect because of the talent on that team 
but then followed by nine and four and five. That was surprising. I'm, you know, here's a Nordium head coach that's gone undefeated in three of 11 regular seasons. That doesn't happen very often at many places. It doesn't, hasn't happened a lot at Notre Dame. So I think in, in that respect, he's exceeded expectations, but in, in, you know, one of those three years when they first, when they played Alabama for the national title and then the playoffs, you've got at least one of those three years, you have to break through and win a game in, in, in the playoffs of, of the last two. So that's disappointing, but I mean, you look at the overall record and what he's done in the last four years, I, you know, I realize that the postseason hasn't been great, but 43 and eight isn't anything to, to scoff at. Yeah, I think it's easy exceed, like without qualification, like he's exceeded my expectations, like both in longevity and just success. Longevity has way exceeded our yeah. expectations. Um, I would have like, we were on I, watch for five, four years, right? So we thought he'd be yeah. 13, and like maybe 13, my perspective is different just because like I started covering Notre Dame in 2000. So like that first decade that I was on the beat was not. 1990 to 1993 um like i didn't see any of that myself so you know to just sort of stabilize the program and get things up to snuff and then i i think the last few years just like accepting notre dame for what it is and really leaning into it i think he's done he's done way more than lip service um on that like i think that that's been a big transformation but he has to win a few more big games i mean everybody agrees with that he's come up short in in that area Next from the real Bob Nas, knowing Notre Dame's two-year at best shelf life for Marcus Freeman, are there lessons other coaches can take from his recruiting style, or is that so personality-driven it cannot be incorporated? I really think it's very personality-driven. I mean, this is a guy that just, he gets it, he loves it, he's as relentless recruiting as he is coaching his players on the field. Everybody can work harder, right? but not everybody can do it as well as him, and we keep seeing and hearing examples on a daily, weekly basis of this guy just absolutely going for it and attacking it, recognizing the shortcomings within the program talent-wise and doing everything he can within the parameters of Notre Dame, of course, to upgrade the talent level. I, I don't know. I don't – you can't teach that. You can you can insist on a greater effort, but you can't teach the magic that he has recruiting. No, I think he's a, he's a superstar recruiter. I mean, however you want to describe him as a recruiter, like he's pretty much as good as it gets. Um, and I think I know that there are people around Notre Dame that are like, hey, let's just sort of see how this goes. Like from a recruiting standpoint, we already know how it's going. Yeah, Swarbrick, like, was, Swarbrick was one that said, okay, hold on, let's wait. And yeah, I, and no, I, I, as, a, as, a, as an X's and O's game, like, sure, yeah, of course. Like, um, but – Inter- and I know internally in the goo, there are other people who are like blown away by Marcus Freeman already. Um, and maybe they don't want to like ramp that up in a, I didn't see Kyle Hamilton make three interceptions on his first practice kind of day. Uh, you know, when Brian Kelly did that a few years ago, but there's, there's no doubt. I mean, this guy's got an absolute home run hire as a recruiter. Question from Dashing Domer. Do you favor high turnover of assistant coaches? Rifling through them until you find top recruiters, a la Coach Freeman? Yes. It works yeah, at Alabama. I, I worked for Lou Holtz, too. I don't, I don't mind turnover with assistant coaches. I like, I like retaining really good coaches. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't want Clark Lee to leave. It might work out as a blessing, but Clark Lee, I would not have voted before I knew who they were getting. Why, why would you want Clark Lee to leave? He's a good coach. But I have, I have no problem it worked with – worked out uh, pretty well, hasn't it? Yeah, I have no problem so far. with the uh, – 
constantly trying to upgrade it at, among coaches, just like yeah. players. I've said it before, Lou Holtz averaged three coaching changes a year. A lot of those were, uh, you know, uh, coordinator roles or head coaching roles. A lot of them were, it was always funny, and I don't know if I've ever said this, but you could always tell on the practice field with a new coach, if he couldn't relate well to Lou Holtz, that guy's days were numbered, man. I mean, and you could, I mean, you could, and you could, you could see it. Like if they were intimidated by Lou Holtz, they weren't going to last. If you could see that relationship being uh, developed on the, on the practice field back in the day when we were always on the practice field, you knew it, but I'm a little old school here, maybe a lot old school. I don't believe in the, the concept of, choose a coach for recruiting first and coaching second. I believe in, in finding the best on the field coach you can find. Who's also a high level recruiter. I don't think you can do it backwards because at the end of the day, especially on the collegiate level, it's still about development and you've got to have a really good coach coaching your tight ends and your offensive line, et cetera. I do think you can do that in college basketball though. With your, well, with your assist with your assistant coaches easily. I, not, I would agree. And you're yeah. dealing with a much smaller sample size and fewer positions and you know, fewer <clears throat> body types and qualifications, et cetera. But I still think you still have to have a guy that knows how to coach football on the field. Emac 40, have you heard anything this offseason that gives you optimism that the Irish might open up on offense and possibly incorporate tempo? It was a no-brainer for Tommy Reese to play to his strengths last year, but this year those strengths are different. I haven't heard anything, but I don't feel like I need to hear anything. I know that Tommy Reese is a young coordinator, but they're not going to approach offense in 2021 the same way they did in 2020. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. We go back to when Brian Kelly said, if I asked, he said this last year, if I asked Tommy Reese to go five wide, he would design an offense that is five wide. So I don't, I, I know I don't understand why people don't believe in Tommy Reese. I realize that they don't like him because they didn't like him as the Notre Dame quarterback, but I still have a lot of confidence that Tommy Reese, who by the way, had the best third down offense in the 11 seasons under, under Brian Kelly, he will adapt to the talent he has because Tommy Reese understands football better than most. That's how he became the quarterback at Notre Dame. Yeah, I have no concerns over this at all. I think that he will adapt and evolve and grow as a coach. I mean, it's also worth keeping in mind, I think, was he 28, 29 years old? He's gaining experience on the job right now. Um, he's in a, a really big sort of growth part of his career. Um, and I think this year is gonna he'll have a chance to show it. So I, how Notre Dame's offense evolves, that story, there's no story there about, like, if it will but it's a fascinating story about how it will. Um, so I think that if you're a Notre Dame fan, you should have no hesitation at all to believe that Reese is not going to push the offense in a different direction because the strengths of the, the, the team will change. And I want to, uh, I want to give DMAC credit on this. He didn't say we have to go do these things differently than last year. He mentioned that Tommy Reese played to his strengths last year. Right. And he will again. And I want to tell you something last year, if you named the top six players on offense going into the season, you would have said the five offensive linemen or four of them, Ian Book and someone else. And now you'll say Kyron Williams, Michael Mayer, Chris Tyree, uh, hopefully Jack Cohn, one offensive lineman, and let's hope it's the wide receivers, which all of a sudden opens you up to, all right, let's see what we have. Maybe Braden Lindsey, 
Jordan Johnson, Kevin Austin are much better to have out there than a second running back or a second tight end. You, but last year, there was no percent chance that a wide receiver was going to be better out for the number two tight end, Michael Mayer. None. Did we ever, did we ever take a question on Nordame's improved uh, third down conversion rate? I don't think we ever got a question on that. We had a lot of questions about the red zone, and and rightfully so. They have to get better in the red zone, and and presumably that's part of the uh, yeah. you know development for Tommy Reese. It doesn't make a lot of sense considering he had a veteran offensive line, and they had a bunch of rushing, they had a bunch yeah. of rushing touchdowns. Uh, but he needs to get better there, and I think we're all in in agreement that uh, we have confidence that he will play to his strengths because he understands offensive football. Really, really well. Ryan, 739, a blast from the past for Priester. Is this the spring Darnell Ewell finally breaks out? <laughs> I'll just make the cut. Because <laughs> I, I wanted to throw yeah. a good laugh in there. I, in, you know, we were wrong, right? You were wrong, Tim, about <laughs> oh, Darnell yeah, Ewell. Yeah, yeah. I was wrong about Darnell Ewell. Pete, I don't know where you had him rated in the class, but probably higher than two. Yeah, probably <laughs> two. Yeah. I mean, we, we were, we were flat wrong, but, but I think after the first practice in Culver, we were not, I think we, I think we had, <laughs> we had some significant concerns. What'd you see that day, Tim? I, I don't, I'm not gonna say I called his career, <laughs> no, but I did didn't. call his season when he was the last guy to change fields. Every time they change fields <laughs> in a nice 73 degree day with what? Wearing shells, not even shells, no pads running yeah. around. There. That's a bad look. That's I mean, he just did not see the vision for himself football-wise. Yeah. He just he just didn't. He just didn't. Kay Beasley asked, does winning a game or two in the ACC tournament change anything with regards to Mike Bray? His comments post-Florida State sure seem definitive that he would not voluntarily step down. The, the situation, no. Yeah, the situation that confuses me all the time with Bray is – if you watch like the Boston college game and said, all right, that's it. Why do you watch? What if they beat Florida state, Wake Forest, North Carolina, Virginia tech and be like, Oh wait, that's not it. You, you have to take the whole body of work. I don't, it even surprised. It's not like football, I guess, where when Jack Schwarberg said about Charlie Weiss, we didn't see Navy coming Remember the, when they lost to Navy in 09 and all, and they lost, they lost the rest of the games too. I feel like basing a 21 year career on one game or one run is just misguided. Like you should know if you want him back for the next couple of years, it shouldn't have anything to do with a last second shot by Trey Wirtz or if Nate Leshevsky hits seven threes tonight instead of zero. Right. Well, it shouldn't have anything to uh, Pete. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I, I agree with, I think it's a totally myopic way to look at it that like, because you beat Florida state and wake forest, it would change anything. I, if you ran, made a run to the ACC tournament championship game, okay, like now we're talking. Well, your um, season is just totally different. It's a, it's not right. the same basketball season. Anymore. But but a loss tonight, or even a loss if they win tonight and lose tomorrow, I, I don't think that moves the needle and, and shouldn't. Uh, total, total agreement. Nothing that's happened in the last five days should change the way Notre Dame slash Jack Swarbrick slash Board of Trustees views this situation. I mean, it, it's they, they should not have been 7-11 and 11 in the conference this year, not with your third year uh, invested in this junior class. It just shouldn't be that way, especially with Durham playing better, Jogo playing better, Cormac Ryan making a difference down the stretch. I, you know, why are they 7-11 and 11 
in the ACC. It just it it should not that should not be the case in a poor ACC. In a, a once again, like last year, a poor, relatively speaking, to other ACC. Yeah, I mean a a a, a poor a- ACC. Um, it it shouldn't it shouldn't that okay. First of all, they're not going to get by North Carolina and Virginia Tech. I doubt very much whether they get by Vir- uh, North Carolina tonight. The matchup is awful. They're going to get hammered on the boards. Uh, and I it's just a 15 three pointer game we talked about off the line. I mean, it, the line, the line's the a little surprising it. though, isn't it? That, yes. That's why I feel half. like they might. <laughs> and North Carolina is an incomplete good team, you know, they, but they, they, I mean, when they focus, they put it to Duke, they can put it to people. They're they an incomplete good team. Would it have anything to do with, <laughs> would it have yeah. anything to do with the, the leadership provided by Roy Williams in his 59th year of coaching in college basketball or whatever it is. For our new listeners, there is a uh, bit of a beef between uh, <laughs> Tim Priester and Roy Williams' coaching style. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just I don't, I don't think Roy Williams is aware of it, but yeah, it <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he would really give a damn. Uh, it, <laughs> Irish from A1. It seems like a sure thing that Bray returns next year. What changes, if any, do you see him making to the program? New assistants, more grad transfers, new approach. I do not say it's a sure thing. <laughs> I believe he will. And that's as far as I can go on it. I have people telling me he will not. I have people telling me he will. Mike Bray says he will. Logic <laughs> dictates he would not because you're crippling your basketball program for the future. Although you, he will probably be a better on the court basketball coach than for next year than the one you hire. Right? I mean, he, he probably will be. He's a good basketball uh, but, I don't know. I mean, I, the recruiting, I, I think it hurts the program in the future more than next year. Because uh, I just think he'll, I don't think there'll be much recruiting effort if the end is obvious. Does that make sense? If next year, if it's like a ceiling year. Um, I get Irish from A1 saying it seems like a sure thing because just that's how Mike Bray's acting. But Again, what do you guys and, think on the sure thing aspect first before we get to the rest of it? I, I don't think it's a sure thing. Uh, let me emphasize again, I don't think we've said it today, we've said it recently, that his contract runs through the next four years. Um, does that Im- influence how Notre Dame makes a decision? Probably not, uh, if they're determined to make a change. My concern is that if you do make a change after next year, then the new coach coming in does not have a roster with which he can win. Whereas if you make a change now, and there are several good young coaches out there, Wes Miller just won another Southern Conference at UNC Greensboro. Although I don't know, I don't know for a fact that that he's a fit for Notre Dame. I have been told by somebody that knows him that he's a good fit for Notre Dame, but I don't know that for sure. Uh, but I don't, I don't like if it, 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 it. The new coach seems like he's going to be hamstrung by a recruiting process and effort that is disjointed at best. I agree with what you're saying, but I think O'Malley's scenario is probably the most likely outcome that, that he comes. I'm not sure if he should come back, but he will come back. And then that would be his last season. And, but I agree with what you're saying. Like that really sets you back moving forward. Cause like whether they announce anything or not, it's like, that's in the water. Um, right. right, right. So it's, it's, but I mean, it's like, 
if Notre Dame replaced Bray with West Miller or Porter Moser or, or John I like Beeline. Por- I do want to commend you. I do think Porter Moser is a, a good choice. Let's just say like Porter Moser or John Beeline, we don't even need to have this discussion. Like as <laughs> from, from a, from a coaching acumen standpoint, like that would be, that would be an upgrade with what they have, I think in terms of energy um, and just sort of like the arc of where those coaches are in their careers. I do think, I mean, I think Mike Bray's prove it time and again that, he can prepare a team well, and he can be a really good in-game coach and make really good decisions. If you hold them to that level every time out, I mean, nobody can nobody can live up to that and out-coach the opposing coach every time out. Right? You know, I will say we are in a very – it's just like Notre Dame but with their quarterbacks and Brian Kelly and everything. I think if you branch out to Notre Dame fans and the, and the national media, they would find the topic of Mike Frey – being fired ludicrous, which is what everybody well, we, on the ACC network said we, yesterday. Right, Luke Hancock, Carlos Boozer, the host, everybody else was like, you guys are absolutely crazy. Um, I talked to, I tried to talk to some people that, you know, they like Notre Dame basketball and that's it. They like Notre Dame basketball. And they're like, why would they fire Mike Bray? He did a really good job. But I, I think we are so into the every element of, well, yeah, but here's what's going on. They're missing these guys. He's not recruiting. I mean, they don't, they don't recruit. They're soft. There's nothing I would like, look, there's nothing I would like more than for Mike Breda to like finish his career. When I finish my career, presumably mine's going to go a little bit, a little bit longer. I mean, because there's something you want to tell us. No, I mean, from a business, (laughs) from a business standpoint, and that's what we have a business relationship with Brian Kelly, Mike Bray, uh, Jeff Jackson, to a lesser extent. I've gotten to know Link Jarrett. We didn't talk about Northern baseball. I told you to watch out for them. But anyway, um, they still got a long road road to go. Now, now there's there's one conference which I don't think is overrated, uh, or one aspect of the ACC which I don't think is overrated, and that's baseball. Although the the standings seem to be have been flipped here early in the season. But I digress. We'll see with Mike Bray. I think it should. I think it could still happen. I think for the long-term benefit of the the future of the program, you need to really you need to start looking at turning the page. But I hope he has success because he's easy to deal with. We have a business relationship with him, and it's a very good one. Tim, one more thing. I want to give Irish a from A1 one answer to this though. New approach or more grad transfers and new assistants. Here's the deal. He needs a new approach, and that new approach is bring in three grad transfers that can challenge, I don't care if he has 11 players on the team next year, that can challenge the Charmin soft approach to defense yeah. and rebounding they have. If you know what, if you're developing juniors and sophomores, don't get to play because you bring in grad transfers, good, bench them. Well, I would I would agree with that. I don't know how many grad transfer they need to. Two, two, Scott Martin, two more. <laughs> okay, Scott, but I'm not sure that that's going to happen. Scott Martin is an inexperienced coach. They need a more experienced coach in that seat. Um, I, I, you know, I think that Mike Bray has to a large extent coddled this group and it shows up with their lack of toughness. I, I understand that he's trying to create a a positive environment, but it's gone too far. And this team is too soft too often. One more question regarding basketball from ever to Excel. I understand the ACC's connection to Greensboro, but wouldn't you like to see the ACC tournament rotate more frequently with metropolitan areas? in the ACC footprint. It will never be like the old Big East at Madison Square Garden, but there would definitely be more buzz and fan attraction to the tournament in Washington, D.C. 
Boston, Charlotte, Atlanta, Miami, etc. Um, I feel well removing the Big East from it because it will never be like the Big East in Madison Square Garden. You're right, and the fan Nor attraction should it be? No. However, Greensboro's fan attraction is huge. Is is yeah. dynamic? Is the best? I don't want to see it other than traveling to these cities. Nobody would go in Miami. Nobody. Greensboro uh, is a it's Greensboro is awesome. It's one of the best tournament environments I've ever been in. It might be the best. It's it's awesome. I, I now the old Big East was crazy in the Madison Square in Madison Square Garden, but I mean Greensboro was awesome. I've only been there twice. It was an absolutely amazing experience. I believe um I believe that I could be wrong here, but I think that this year's tournament had been scheduled in DC and they changed it. COVID related type it, it would make sense. Yeah. I, I, I think you're right. Cause I vaguely remember hearing about that. Now, I've been, I've been to the, I've been to a tournament in DC and that is a, that's you a walked really, to it, right? You said, you yeah, just walked that's right a out. really, yeah. really great set. Of course it was like 75 degrees unseasonably, incredibly beautiful in DC yeah. for that. But that, that's a good setting. Boston. I have no interest in going to Boston in March for a basketball tournament, Miami, they have no interest in having the, you there in Boston yeah, either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Greensboro, I think, I mean, I I think the ACC is different than the Big East. I, uh, Greensboro is an often awesome setting. Charlotte would be fine. I don't know. I think North Carolina is kind of where the yeah. ACC tournament should be. I know that's an advantage for the North Carolina teams, but. I, I mean, I think Greensboro <laughs> is to the ACC what Madison Square Garden was to the Big East. You know, yeah. not. Not perfect sync, but like sure. there's a tradition there and it's a draw. Um, and like the ACC tournament should be in the state of North Carolina every year. I believe next year's in Brooklyn and Greensboro set for 2023. Well, if it's in Brooklyn, I want to go cover it and go to Keynes because I missed my last trip there with a canceled flight. So that's happening. All right, Jack. <laughs> next from GR Irish Fan 22. It's been awfully quiet regarding possible cornerback grad transfers. Should I be getting worried? Pete, let them know when the semester ends. The semester ends in May. <laughs> graduate so, transfers, graduate. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I, Pete, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a line on anybody. We did not have a line on Nick, Nick McLeod last year. No. Uh, little surprise. Eh, I guess not surprising. You didn't make it to the combine when you have no 11 Nordane players going. Um, but I don't know. I don't have a line on anybody right now, but we didn't on, on Nick McLeod last year either. I would imagine at least one, right? At least yeah. one. Trevor Spates was after Nick McLeod too. People forget he, he joined That's the team point. last year. Okay. So, yeah, so I, yeah, I don't have a line on the names there either, but I know like if Marcus Freeman is, is recruiting at the, <laughs> with the level of intensity that he is, monitoring the transfer portal and potential takes that way would be exactly the same thing. Is there a grad transfer uh, corner from Cincinnati? That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> players over there at corner. Yeah, no doubt. Sure. Yeah, a, lot of, a lot of good DBs. Chad Flanagan asks uh, and says, I'll use Litchfield Azvon as my example, but this scenario can be applied to many recruits. Where did we go wrong? He was a high-level four-star, but it seems he has been looked at as a guy who would never – contribute very early on was this a misevaluation or was he recruited as a special teams backup type why do we assume he will never develop there are I many our assumptions I, I think our assumptions are based upon what we've heard told information by, that has yeah. been passed on to us yeah go ahead Tim. that's it information has been passed on to us that it's 
he's not quite that level of uh, contending college football so that safety would, that's going to so help that you make a playoff team, which is what Notre Dame is. Notre Dame's a, a second tier college football program behind three superhero college football programs or three superstar college football programs. And he's not quite at that level and he could probably play at other levels. There's plenty of players on the teams. Why does it happen? I got to go with misevaluation. Don't you? Yeah, but everybody, that's how recruiting works, right? Like a third third of the players in a class don't pan out on average. Like, and I mean, don't pan out and like, they almost never play. So that's, you know what? Recruiting is, it's such like a macro topic to discuss. Like when you're talking about a hundred players and it's easier for people to process these discussions than when you're talking about one, like not every three star is Tyler Eifert, not every four star is Litchfield Agibon. So I don't, it's just guys, guys don't work out. Um, that happens all the time. One of the things, the first things I heard was that just the, the, the fundamentals, the movement of defensive backs just did not come naturally to him staying in a football position all the things that they drilled day after day after day after day did not come naturally with him right from the very beginning now you can say misevaluation um but as you said pete then i then everybody has missed every school has misevaluations uh and you're you know a lot of times you're filling out class okay we can't do we don't think we can get another safety Right. He's a fit. Let's, Let's be fair. Yeah. He's an automatic fit at Notre Dame. Exactly. Oh, 100%. He's all time fit. Exactly. And so, you know, you're looking at your board and saying, man, we're not making much headway with a, a receiver or a tight end. We're going to have to maybe compromise this cycle and then try to make up for it next cycle. It's, it's an inexact science. It's, it's human beings evaluating human beings and trying to project them on a level that they're not playing at currently. And yeah. We have not been officially proven right or wrong yet. Lechelajvon has plenty of time left. We should exactly. be fair to that. Like they, you know, we we get on players when they're seniors that uh, play a lot and play poorly, and I think that's part of our job. But we he has plenty of time. Lechfield Edgevon, and they sure it. could use them to yeah, develop. The tea, like, the tea right leaves now. don't seem great, but there's an right. opportunity right there. Right. Finishing up with J, from Jay Jude. Spring practice is about to start. What player do you think Notre Dame fans will obsess over most on his lack of involvement? Seems to be at least one or two every year, and that carries throughout the fall football season. Do you, for the sake of variety and conversation, can we eliminate Jordan Johnson and Tyler Buckner? Yeah. No, Jordan Johnson's going to have a good spring. He's coming. I don't think you can. I, I, you, okay. and There's Xavier nobody Watts, out there. Uh, uh, no, it's Xavier Watts. Look, guys, Avery Davis is the starting slot receiver. So they have Xavier Watts, Lorenzo Styles, and Lawrence Keys. So my answer is a slot receiver is the guy that people are going to obsess over because they're not all going to be playing first string this year. <laughs> One of those guys is going to fall behind the other guys. And unless it's it styles, people are going to go, well, even it'd be even worse. I don't think it's, yeah, I don't think it's going to be styles. I don't either, but let's say it is. That's even worse. Even though he's a freshman, they're like, oh, I can't believe he hasn't passed over Xavier Watts, who everybody thought was going to start last year when they were watching spring. As soon as, as soon as Jack Cohn throws a pick or proves he can't stretch the field, any better than Ian Book, which could, you know, I mean, that could be uh, March 24th <laughs> if we're allowed in. Well, we won't have any idea. If, if Jack Cohn can't stretch the field, we may never see another practice again. Did you see pro, this will be in Thursday Thoughts. Did you see Pro Football Focus's evaluation of, of Jack Cohn? I did not. What did no. they have to say? 
And you're going to have to wait until okay. tomorrow's Thursday thoughts. Not for that because we're trying to wrap up. Prince, I think, yeah. I think uh, Prince Collie won't be here in the spring, but I think Prince Collie, if the Rover's struggling, they're going to, people are going to want to see Prince Collie, Styles, Colsey. I mean, usually it's quarterbacks and receivers, right? Yes. It's linebackers. There's too many of them. <laughs> linebackers, Niles Morgan. Remember the demand for Niles oh. Morgan to be on the field. He ended up being yeah. the third best linebacker when he started. That's great. Yeah, yeah, but 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 Buckner and Jordan Johnson, they're at the top of the list, man. It's going to be hard to unseat them at the top of this list. <laughs> I'm I telling you, Lawrence Keys, who as great as Lawrence Keys was last year on message boards when he wasn't playing, he is going to be equally bad this year when he's ahead of Styles and Watts, and they're going to say, "Why do we have that senior in there for?" There's no reason for that guy to be. Well, there. if that he's a, if, Keys. He, if Keys is a lot stronger, then he deserves to be ahead of those guys. If he's not and it's open for debate. Hey, had a good time today. We appreciate you joining us. Uh, we fully intend, right, Jack, to be back on Monday of next week, uh, barring any... After the ACC championship appearance. Barring, barring life getting in the way of what we do every day. Thanks for joining us. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.